Hello, this is Alistair, welcoming you to the 2228th edition of the Enfield Talking Newspaper on the 26th of January 2023. The readers this week are Jackie, Ruth, Anne and myself, with Ian on the controls, the editor was Group D, and the production and distribution team is Group D. Our title music is Country Rock Polka, composed by Pat Prilly, Ferdinand Bouillon, Harry Brewer, and performed by Jean-Jacques Perry, and is used with his kind permission. The local news stories that we will be reading come from the Enfield Dispatch and are their copyright, and the event's information has been collated by us from other sources. The lead story this week is Council offered £1 million to approve unsafe tower block. Before the news, we have uh, one or two special news items and notices. First, the sunrise and sunset times the week beginning January the 30th are sunrise 7.42 and sunset 16.45. We also have some special notices from Enfield Vision and Enfield Home Library Service. Do get in touch with us to share your own news and special announcements. We'd love to hear from you if you have any comments about the Enfield Talking newspaper. Please phone Diane de Jersey on 020 8805-6578. She is your listener's representative and will be pleased to help you. First, a notice from Enfield Vision. We are a group of visually impaired people determined to improve the environment and to reduce the everyday problems of blind and partially sighted people. We are registered with the Charity Commission as an organisation with a specific aim of promoting the well-being of visually impaired people living in Enfield. Now, we hold a drop-in morning on the third third Thursday in each month from 10am to 1pm at Park Avenue Resource Centre, Bushill Park, Enfield. Now, here are the dates for the next few months. Thursday the 16th of February, Thursday the 16th of March, and Thursday the 20th of April. Then all Thursdays, 18th of May, 15th of June, 20th of July, 17th of August, 21st of September, 19th of October, and the 16th of November all Thursdays. For further information, please contact us on telephone number 020-8373-6260 or email information at enfieldvision.org.uk Did you know that Enfield has a home library service? This means that if mobility, disability or caring responsibilities make it difficult for you to visit the library, then we can bring the library to you, and there is no charge. 
The Home Library is run in conjunction with the Raw Voluntary Service, who vet and manage our volunteers. You tell us the sort of thing you like to read, and we will select books for you and deliver them to your home once every four weeks. As well as ordinary print titles, we have audiobooks on CDs and large print titles. There are also a limited number available in different community languages. Separately, the Enfield Home Library Service offers assistance with digital library content, so we can help you to get to grips with borrowing e-books or audiobooks from the library to listen to on a phone or tablet. For more information or to see if you can sign up for this service, email enfield.hls at royalvoluntaryservice.org.uk or call Shauna Tivan, the Community Service Manager for the Enfield Home Library Service. And Shauna can be reached on 07826511094. Now, Jackie will read the first item of local news. Government is to blame for NHS backlogs. In our latest MP's column, Bambos Sharalambas decries increasingly long waits for NHS treatment. A very happy new year to everyone in Enfield. I hope you all enjoyed a restful break over the festive period and are looking forward to everything 2023 holds. Looking back on 2022, it was quite a year in British politics. In Enfield, we had local elections in May and Labour retained control of the council as the party made significant gains across the country, including in neighbouring Barnet. We also watched on in horror as Russia's illegal invasion of of Ukraine. Since the war began last February, more than 120 Ukrainians and their families have been welcomed into the homes of Enfield residents. It has been incredibly moving to see how welcoming our community has been to those fleeing this horrific conflict. In Westminster, there was a lot of political turmoil. For those struggling to keep up, we had three prime ministers, four chancellors and four budgets. With all this upheaval at the top of government, the UK's economic outlook has continued to get more challenging We face the lowest growth of any OECD nation. Living standards are set to fall by 7.1%, the largest decline in six decades, while food and energy costs are all going up. It has been a very difficult time for people across the UK, and of course it will be the most vulnerable who face the worst impact of the cost of living crisis. As we start the year, I want to focus on one of the biggest challenges – facing our community and people across the UK, the crisis in our NHS. This is something that is coming up again and again in my casework. According to recent data, 3,933 people had to wait more than two weeks for a GP appointment locally. Across the UK, 7 million people are waiting months and even years for treatment. This has a devastating impact on their day-to-day lives as they are held back from working and living their lives to the full. 
This is not down to NHS staff, who continue to go above and beyond to protect people. The problems the NHS faces today are the consequence of 12 years of conservative mismanagement. The longer we give the Tories, the longer patients wait. As your MP, I've been supporting calls for a long-term plan to fix our NHS, as I do not believe we can build a healthy economy without a healthy society. This starts with investing in our NHS workforce, which faces record vacancies. That's why, last month, I voted to close the non-DOM tax loophole and use this money to train a new generation of healthcare staff, including doubling the number of nurses and doctors. There are around 44,000 non-DOMs in the UK who are using a 200-year-old loophole to pay their taxes overseas. I believe patients need treatment and NHS staff need support. More than the wealthiest need a back a tax break. I will continue to hold the government to account so that patients in our community are seen on time and local NHS staff are supported in the future. Bambos Sharalambas is a Labour MP for Enfield Southgate. If you are a constituent, you can get in touch. Call 020-7219-3460. Email bamboss.sharalambus.mp at parliament.uk that's all lowercase or visit bamboss.org.uk Tower Blocks gas supply cut over safety fears Residents of Cheshire House on the Sires estate had to endure freezing conditions without central heating and hot water after their gas supply was suddenly cut off People living in the 18-storey block were offered a single electric heater and the use of an outdoor shower cubicle during the cold snap in December as the council worked to install replacement electric boilers. The gas supply to the 1960s-built Cheshire House was due to be turned off in January 2024 after it failed a structural safety test, but urgent action had to be taken after a leak was discovered. Edmonton MP Kate Osamore blamed Enfield Council for not addressing the long-running problems at Cheshire House much sooner and said the residents all felt forgotten. Speaking during December's cold spell, resident Emma Parkinson said, We're all freezing. We're having to wrap up in thick jumpers and dressing gowns. My little boy has had to sleep in two baby throws, socks and the jumper, and we're all having to sleep in one room just to keep warm. They've given us the option of a shower outside, but it's absolutely freezing. It's minus degrees outside in the snow, and I have two small children, and I simply can't shower them out there. A council spokesman said, Enfield Council's absolute priority is to keep tenants safe and warm. For the safety of the residents, it was absolutely imperative that the gas was turned off at Cheshire House immediately upon the discovery of a gas leak. At this point... All residents within the housing block were offered alternative accommodation while this situation was addressed. A letter was obtained under <clears throat> the Freedom of Information Act which reveals planning agents' attempt to sway decision on Brimsdown scheme days before the meeting. The planning agent promoting a 21-storey tower block in Brimsdown 
offered to pay Enfield Council £1 million in addition to the usual community contributions made by developers proposing large schemes. In a letter sent to Enfield Civic Centre, just days before a planning committee meeting, at which the Brimstown scheme was deferred by Labour councillors against the advice of the council's planning development department, the developer's agent wrote, We are prepared to make an equivalent monetary offer to be discussed, negotiated and agreed, adding, in brackets, that the sum could be £1 million. It is normal for developers of large schemes to make financial contributions to local planning authorities to support necessary upgrades of local infrastructure and to provide affordable housing. But this is usually done via Section 106, Community Infrastructure Levy, payments agreed as part of a planning application. In his letter, obtained by the dispatch via the Freedom of Information Act, planning agent Murat Aydemir proposes that the £1 million offer would come in addition to CIL and that he believed the council would greatly benefit from a substantial monetary contribution. Conservative planning committee member and former council leader Michael Rye told the dispatch that the £1 million offer was highly unusual and should have been flagged to the committee when the planning application was debated by them five days later. At that meeting, committee members were repeatedly warned that the plans for 100 homes plus retail and office space on the site of a derelict pub in Green Street next to Brimstown Station would be unsafe and were given 12 reasons to reject the application by planning officers. These included serious concerns over fire safety and the safety of children playing on the tower's proposed play space on the rooftop. However, when it came to the decision, seven Labour councillors voted against the motion to refuse planning permission and later agreed instead to give the developer more time to address the concerns raised, voting to defer the scheme. This was a second deferral following the first in July. Of the Labour councillors on the committee, only Doug Taylor voted to reject the application alongside all four Tory members. After the vote, Conservative Jim Stephen, visibly angry, said he was not happy with the vote and suggested the outcome had been twisted. Two days after the October meeting, a leaked email shows that Murat Aydemir, who works for developer Yen of London's Limited Appointed Planning Agents, Intelli Arch Limited, invited 
Planning Committee Chair Sinan Boztas to meet to discuss the application with him, alongside Head of Planning Brett Lee. The Council has not answered questions from the dispatch about whether any meeting subsequently took place and what was discussed. Councillor Rai, who told October's meeting the committee would not be able to look itself in the face if it did not reject the Brimsdown application, said of the newly revealed letter offering the council £1 million. This is a highly unusual letter and should have been reported to the planning committee. The council has been asked to comment on who at the planning department was made aware of the £1 million offer, whether any councillors were made aware and why it was not disclosed at the committee meeting. It has not provided any response. Murat Aydemir has been asked about why the offer was made, what the offer was aiming to achieve, why the suggested £1 million was not included as part of the scheme's CIL, or Community Infrastructure Levy, or Section 106 contributions, and what discussions he had had with the councillors outside of the two committee meetings. He has not provided any response. Primary School launches Food Bank to help struggling families. St Andrews in Enfield Town has stepped in to help amid the cost of living crisis. And Enfield Town Primary School has opened a food bank for parents who are struggling to feed their children amid the worsening cost of living crisis. Staff at St Andrews CFE Primary School in Churchbury Lane were moved to act when they realised that even families who did not qualify for free school meals were finding it difficult to afford food for packed lunches and meals at home. This led the school to set up a small space where food and other essential donations can be stored. Parents are then invited to pick up the products they need for free without any need to register. So there's no stigma attached. As well as tins and packets of food, the pantry supplies parents with cleaning, sanitary and personal hygiene products. There is even a fridge stocked with butter and milk. The St Andrews School Food Bank was officially launched last month by Enfield North MP Ferriel Clark, who praised both staff and pupils for their initiative. She said, It is a very difficult time for lots of people so it's very important for everyone to do their bit to help the community and it is amazing the work you are doing to open this pantry. What you have done is incredibly generous. Jude Statham, head of school at St Andrews, said the pantry had been supported with a small grant from Enfield Council and would now be in place for the whole winter. She told the dispatch, we have had collections in the past for Christmas hampers and our parents have been very generous but this time we wanted to do something more permanent. It's very discreet 
because it is not in the main school building, you can come here and take what you like. We have had an increase in children who are receiving free school meals, but we're also seeing families that do not qualify for them who are beginning to struggle. That is why we have opened it to all families. Year six pupils, Albie and Isaac, have been helping to manage the donations received from parents at the school. Albie said, It's worth it knowing that someone has been able to cook their dinner from the pantry. And Teresa Davis, chair of governors, added, It is a great initiative, and to have the children involved as well is fantastic. Map showcases Gateway to the Green Belt. An artistic map showcasing Gordon Hill Station as the gateway to the Green Belt was unveiled by Tottenham Hotspur Ambassador Ledley King. The community map shows passengers arriving at the station where they can go to enjoy countryside walks, spot wildlife and enjoy a beer. The colourful design can now be viewed on the platforms of the station after being commissioned by the Friends of Gordon Hill Station and being designed by illustrator Camilla Charnock. Funding was provided by sponsors Anthony Fisher from Enfield Poets and Tottenham Hotspur FC with extra help from the Enfield Society and Great Northern Railway. French Chair John Cole said, I want to thank the railway staff for their support and to everyone for coming together to help us promote the Green Belt, the shops and businesses in the area, the top bit of our lovely borough. Making Fall Street the place to be. Lewis Tomazu from Fall Street for All on another successful Thursday Lates event and What's On Next with Community Arts Group. Over the past year, Fall Street Community for All Interest Group has been delivering a cultural programme along Fall Street in the Angel Edmonton. Our Thursday Lates, a series of events that run on the first Thursday of each month, bring together community as we work with local residents and businesses to help foster a nighttime economy along our local high street. Four Street for All is a collaboration between the residents group REACT, local architects Fisher Cheng and Edmonton-based art organisation The Artist Hive Studios. For our last event of 2022, we really wanted to go out with a bang, so we decided to organise a night festival along the whole of Four Street. The festival celebrated Four Street people, places and past. Inside the Four Street Library, which was renovated and reopened as a living room library in 2022, we hosted stalls for local artists, businesses and groups, an art exhibition by the sculptor Alf Linney, and painter Tahira Tofa, while visitors hit the dance floor for a silent disco. People enjoyed Kath Carver's soft salon art installation upstairs in Gabby's Cafe. There were photography workshops and a live performance by the Lost Chimes at the Cousin Snooker Club. Visitors and locals gathered to listen to music from the New River Dixielanders Brass Band inside the alleyway underneath the Bridport House. The alleyway was lit up by lanterns made by local school children from Raynham and St John and St James's Primary Schools. Cups of delicious free Nigerian vegetable and pepper soup by Cole City warmed the visitors up and the passers-by. 
The vegetables, which would have otherwise gone to waste, were donated by the Brothers Fruit and Veg Limited and Edmonton-based greengrocers. Local supermarket Big Ben donated meat for the non-vegetarian soup and the local veteran fruit and veg seller Charlie donated bags of potatoes. And that wasn't all. We even had a real-life reindeer outside school, a music production workshop on the double-decker bus, Boy Meets Krill, which was performed at the Gilpin's Bell, with local reggae band The Sounds, the Royal Sounds closing the festival and receiving a rapturous encore from a crowded pub. It was so wonderful to see families and young people happily going from one venue to another along the high street that residents often don't feel safe on at night. Our cultural programme aims to change the negative image of 4th Street by championing the amazing work of local businesses, individuals and groups for a safer high street for all of us in the community. We look forward to delivering more exciting events in 4th Street in 2020-23 and beyond. This is A Year to Remember at Chicken Shed. Uh, Susan Jamson recaps a busy year and looks forward to what's to come at the Southgate Theatre in 2023. The Christmas and New Year period is always very special, exciting and busy for Chicken Shed. Our theatre has been packed full of sounds, lights, emotions as we perform our big winter show, Jack, and our early years children's show, Christmas Tales and Christmas Planet Play. If 86 performances weren't enough, we've also seen our touring teams piling into our minibus to take shows to those who are not able to visit our theatre in person. Jack, which runs until the 7th of January, has received some amazing four-star reviews in the national press. The Guardian wrote... It would take a heart of stone not to be drawn in by this inclusive marvel of a show. And the Times described it as a giant Christmas show which takes fairy tales to another level. We also celebrated being presented with a variety club Silver Heart Award for our outstanding contribution to diversity and inclusion in the performing arts. A cast of 20 performed at the Hilton Hotel on the 21st of November, and Chicken Shed's creative producer Michael Bossis and youth theatre member Laura Brady were delighted to accept the award on Chicken Shed's behalf. Laura explained in her speech how it feels to be part of Chicken Shed and how Chicken Shed feels to be part of the world. She said, I joined when I was seven and I was nervous about making new friends. But now I have been there for so many years, I've made lots of friends as well as being part of awesome theatre. At Chicken Shed, I get a chance to have a voice and express my emotions. I would love for more people to be able to share this with us, because everyone deserves to feel comfortable about who they are, and everyone deserves to feel valued for what they can give. Performing arts is a place where the imagination can make a change for the world, 
So for that reason, the world needs to be able to be part of it. I hope that all of you can find a way to have a bit of chicken shed in your world too. And with this article, there's a, a lovely picture of young uh, Laura Brady receiving her special award, the Silver Heart Award, on behalf of the Chicken Shed Theatre. And the creative producer, Michael Bossis, is in this photograph as well. Chicken Shed's outreach and touring programme have been thriving throughout 2022. Two of our projects, Crime of the Century and Day One Big School, have performed or led workshops in more than 40 venues. We have visited schools up and down the country, performed and shared experiences at several conferences and led workshops in most of Enfield's pupil referral units. One student offered this feedback. It was really good and one of the best workshops we've ever done. We talked about all the positive new things that would happen to us, like being more independent and making two new friends. And we talked about some things that might worry us, like having more homework, peer pressure, getting lost or having new teachers. As we celebrate 2022, we look forward to all the new productions and adventures that are around the corner in 2023, including two new shows. A funny thing happened on the way to the theatre, being for, performed in our studio theatre in February, and Rush, our main house production opening at the beginning of March. We look forward to welcoming you to the Chicken Shed in the coming months. This was a memorable World Cup for both right and wrong reasons. Enfield sports journalist Andrew Warshaw, attending his 10th World Cup, gives his verdict on Qatar 2022. <clears throat> Having covered nine World Cups as a working journalist, I'd always wanted to attend purely as a fan and chose Qatar mainly because of the compact nature of the tournament and the proximity of the stadiums. My week in Doha was weird and wonderful in terms of the sights, smells and sounds of East meeting West. The crime-free cleanliness, Muslims respectfully called to prayer, Local Qataris in their tobes and robes, many with their faces painted in team colours. A World Cup of contradictions with unprepossessing uh, backstreet convenience stores sitting side by side with the showy signs of affluence. With the tiny Gulf state not used to being invaded by football fans from all over the world, there was at times a sense of unreality about the whole thing. It often felt somewhat artificial, with fan zones and cafes occasionally giving off a rent-a-crowd vibe. But there's no doubting the Arab region's passion for football. Rarely have I heard more noise from fans 
than exuberantly generated by followers of Tunisia and Morocco. In terms of friendliness and hospitality, one can have few complaints, notwithstanding the ongoing and important narrative about migrant workers and their rights, which continues to hang over the event and deserves to long after the final whistle. The Qatar is put on a welcoming front, though whether that mitigated the entirely justifiable debate about whether the country should have been awarded the tournament in the first place, let alone it being staged in winter, is highly questionable. There were a number of niggles, not least the exorbitant cost of stadium food and drink, which, in the case of a bottle of water, was ten times more than in a side street convenience store. Security was tight, so tight, that I had something uh, as innocent as a pen confiscated after being told I could stab someone with it. But it was also remarkably quick and courteous. On one occasion, having explained politely that the strange-looking cream-coloured liquid in my rucksack was in fact stomach medicine, staff on the gates were understanding. Another plus was the almost total absence of ticket touts and the feeling of being constantly safe, an important factor, especially for the more absent-minded visitor such as this writer. The chance of being pickpocketed or mugged in the street was virtually nil. As for the unavailability of alcohol in and around stadiums, it had little adverse effect. Only once did I see any supporter being even close to looking inebriated. An England fan, I might add. If you wanted to drink badly enough, searched hard enough and had sufficient funds at your disposal, you could find a licensed bar to watch matches, provided you booked in advance. Invariably, these were exclusive venues located at swanky hotels where, for a hefty fee, of course, you could buy a daily pass and sometimes enjoy a swim in the sea. Not all of them were exclusive, however. One Brit-style pub, reputed to be the cheapest in town, with the equivalent of £25 for three drinks with a voucher, was a throwback to the 1970s, but not at my age for me. Though the atmosphere was fantastic, you could hardly breathe for the cigarette smoke or move because it was so rammed. Qatar, as we know, spent an eye-watering amount on building the infrastructure for this World Cup. There are legitimate questions to be asked about what happens to all of it when everything goes back to normal, not just the stadiums, but also the hundreds of accommodation blocks built especially for the tournament. Was it right and proper to expect the players rather than politicians to fly the flag for human rights? There are serious shortcomings when it comes to Qatar's laws and treatment of migrant workers, but there have also been double standards. Among the many pontificating commentators and sporting figures who have lambasted Qatar's right to host, a fair few have been only too happy to take the regime's money when it suits them, whether working for the local broadcasting company or taking advantage of Qatar's excellent training facilities. That the tiny country half the size of Wales got 
lucky, winning the vote to host back in 2010 is undeniable. Scandalous, even. But it is also undeniable that the Middle East as a whole deserved its chance to showcase the region's attributes. Railway bridge to undergo urgent repairs. A railway bridge found to be suffering from structural defects is set to undergo repair work. Network Rail drew up plans to repair and strengthen the bridge over Chase Green Avenue and aims to begin this summer. Chase Green Railway Bridge is sited within Enfield Town Conservation Area and the borough's local heritage list describes it as having a detailed and intricate design and an ornamental character. But Network Rail's planning documents reveal the bridge is now suffering from a range of defects, including fractures in the structure of the arches. Some of these defects are described as urgent safety items, presenting a risk to the public. The work is due for completion in May 2024. Whiteweb's lease plan slammed. Councillors and campaigners have accused Enfield Council of breaking a key promise on the future of White Webbs Park after a public notice announcing a 25-year lease to Tottenham Hotspur was published. The Premier League Football Club became the preferred choice for leasing the former White Webbs Park golf course in 2021, with the new Spurs Women's Academy being proposed for the northern half and the public parkland for the southern half. The council stated at the time that no lease would be entered into unless and until planning consent is granted. Now a new public notice states that Enfield Council intends to enter into an agreement to grant a lease of the property for a term of 25 years to Tottenham Hotspur Limited, which is or may include an open space. A council spokesperson stated its position has not changed and that the granting of a lease is wholly contingent on the TFC securing planning permission. But Sean Wilkinson, chair of the Friends of Whitewebs, said it did not make sense for the council to ask for objections to the lease when detailed plans had not yet been submitted. He said the plan was to wait for Spurs to submit its planning application, and at that stage the public could make their objections. The council now wants to rush through this lease before we know what Spurs wants to do. Why is this being done and who will benefit from it? The people of Enfield will get nothing. The proposed rent is pathetically small and the only benefit will be Spurs and its owners. Whiteweb's councillor David Skelton said this is a totally unacceptable situation. It is a breach of the promises made by the council that the planning application would come before the lease and also a breach of the promise to properly consult with the community. The move came just after a month of a letter threatening legal action over the enclosure of Whitewebs was sent by campaigners to the council. A council spokesperson said Entfield Council has categorically not entered into a lease yet with Tottenham Hotspur. People can object to this lease by emailing whitewebs at enfield.gov.uk. And now an article about sport um, by Andrew Warshaw, and it's entitled Knowing the Opposition Inside Out. Having the opposition watched before matches is a vital part of a team's preparations, even at non-league level. 
and Enfield Town Football Club are no exception. On Saturdays, while the first team are in action, Howard Cowley, town's chief scout in all but official name, is invariably taking a close look at a future opponent before providing manager Andy Lease with all he needs to know about particular strengths and weaknesses. Few are more qualified to do the job than Howard, who has almost half a century of non-league experience behind him, much of it on the management and coaching side, before switching to scouting when, as he put it, I'd done as much as I wanted but really wanted to stay involved in some way. The result was linking up with Lees when the latter was manager at Chesham United and helping to contribute to the club's success, not least in the FA Cup. When Andy moved to Enfield a few years ago, it was a natural progression to come across with him, Howard told the dispatch. I'm 74 now. And though I don't do every game for Enfield, I'm out almost every Saturday and a lot of Tuesdays. You should see the black book I've got with all the details on hundreds of players. To give you an example of Howard's detailed analysis, he watched Hornchurch no fewer than three times before their scheduled December fixture with Enfield Town ultimately postponed because of the big freeze. I always write a report for Andy with a breakdown on each individual, says Howard, and give my thoughts on how Enfield can best handle them. I try and work it out two or three weeks in advance in terms of which the teams I can catch where I can. It's a unique insight into just how important the scout is when it comes to a club's preparations. You have to keep it simple and straightforward, explained Howard, who, like so many people involved in non-league football, does it for pure enjoyment. I spend countless hours thinking about what I'm going to write and, to be fair to Andy, he pays considerable attention to what I say. Sometimes, of course, all the advice in the world doesn't necessarily work out. A game plan can last 90 minutes or 90 seconds. Just because I see a side in action in one game doesn't necessarily mean they will line up in the same way. Howard is modest when it comes to what kind of difference he feels his input makes. As a previous manager... I know the best preparation in the world may not always work if the game plan isn't followed or if the opposition changes its shape. I can only provide what I've seen. Hastings United are one example of how his scouting report paid dividends. I watched them twice and I thought they were very impressive. Then Enfield went and beat them. Ultimately, it's down to the players on the pitch. But in general, I'd like to think the information I give Andy helps him prepare fully. My mantra is that I give Andy the best information I can 
and it's up to him what he does with it. Howard's only regret is that by the very nature of the job, he can't get to enough of Enfield's games. It's useful to watch them, because if I know their own strengths and weaknesses, it helps with what I can provide in terms of dealing with the opposition. On the other hand, it's very hard for me to watch Enfield Town sometimes if they're doing something wrong. Bearing in mind, I know the opposition inside out. I feel I have to keep away from the dugout. It's not for me to get involved. But it can be hard emotionally to disassociate myself, which doesn't happen when I'm watching the opposition. Palmer's Green. Market helps launch New Square. <clears throat> A winter market helped launch the borough's newest public space. I beg your pardon, public square. Devonshire Square has been created at the junction of Devonshire Road and Green Lanes and is now being used on a trial basis as a public space for events and other community uses. Last month, the square's inaugural market took place with local independent traders invited to sell their wares alongside hot food and live music. Devonshire Square provides extra seating and dining space, a place for relaxation and repose, and a focal point to attract people to the town centre and engage in positive activities. Created by Enfield Council in coordination with Palmer's Green Action Team, PGAT, a community group aiming to support the local economy in Green Lanes. The square will remain in place as a trial for 18 months, with a public consultation now open. If it is deemed successful, it will be made permanent, with the potential for additional features to be added in future. Climate Questions Dear Enfield Dispatch, Within two years, a general election will be on us, and it will be a critical election for addressing the climate emergency. Engaging decision-makers on what needs to be done nationally as well as globally is vital for our democracy. Enfield Climate Action Forum has written to our three sitting MPs to ask them if they will take one question a month from us, involving many of the 120 groups in our network. We will then post their answers on our website and also disseminate widely on social networks. Two Two decades ago, the local United Nations Association ran a similar project with our then sitting MPs and they all took part. We hope our current MPs will this time because democratic engagement is vital to tackling the climate emergency. This is a lovely letter from Anthony Smith of Edmonton Green entitled Country Idyll. Dear Enfield Dispatch, On a quiet cold morning in December... It was time for a peaceful day of mindful solitude. I arrived at a spot in the countryside and on arrival I contemplated and admired the snow-covered skeletal trees and the white-covered field looking like icing. I soon came face to face with a monkjack deer no more than three metres away with a young fawn in tow. They appeared as astounded to see me as I was to see them. 
We, I think, admired each other before the pair strolled off and disappeared back into the undergrowth. While sitting in a snowy, cold glade, I heard a buzzard, the sounds slowly fading away. A pheasant strolled by me, blissfully unaware that I was there. On finishing my walk, I sat with my tea in awe of the natural beauty, the peaceful solitude and the time for reflection, feeling at peace and at one with the world. It is an amazing place in the country to find peace and relaxation. Where could this place be, I hear you ask? Why, Trent Park in Cockfosters, of course. And following that lovely letter, uh, on the front of uh, the dispatch is a very fine um, photograph of uh, Clay Hill in northern Enfield with uh, a lot of snow covering the trees which uh, hang right over the road, no traffic at all, um, and it's very, very beautiful indeed. And underneath that picture, it says... Enfield was blanketed in around 15 centimetres of snow last month as winter got off to its coldest start for several years. While many families went out to enjoy the snow, the week-long freeze led to severe problems on the roads, with many residential streets left ungritted and pavements dangerously covered in ice for several days. Pictured above is Clay Hill. Very fine photograph. And I'll read a letter uh, to the dispatch entitled Dementia Plan. Dementia is the UK's biggest killer and one of the greatest health challenges facing society. Earlier this year, the government announced a visionary 10-year plan for dementia aiming to increase diagnosis and support people with their health and care needs. This announcement provided hope for the 900,000 people living with dementia in the UK. The government promised to publish the plan by the end of 2022, but we are still waiting. With three health sec secretaries since July... Progress on the 10-year plan has stalled. And now, 19 times over, the government has responded to questioning by stating, further information will be available in due course. While I am thrilled by the recent positive drug trial results, they give hope for the future. But for those living in the now this lack of clear direction from the government is costing them time and hope. Dementia doesn't wait for due course. We need a Plan D now. Council admits Meridian Water Community Garden will be built on. Promotional material for Enfield Council's Meridian Water Regeneration Scheme has been amended following an intervention by the advertising regulator. Text on a website marketing the homes has been added to state that the community garden being planned for Meridian 1, the first phase of the scheme currently under construction in Edmonton, is a meanwhile space 
that will be in place until at least 2026. It comes after housing campaign group Better Homes Enfield contacted the Advertising Standards Authority, ASA, to raise concerns that the marketing information for the regeneration scheme failed to mention that the council ultimately aims to build housing on the site of the community garden. Planning documents drawn up by Vistry Homes, the developer appointed by Enfield Council to build homes at Meridian 1, state that the garden will likely be brought forward for residential development in the future. Better Homes Enfield claimed in a blog post that the garden appeared to have been used to help boost the environmental and social value credentials on Meridian 1 and to generate interest and sell the flats at the best price. But that this seems to be a cynical marketing tactic when there is clearly an aim to build housing on the site of the community garden. The complaint made to the AQA was informally resolved after extra information was added to the Meridian One sales website to reflect the garden's temporary nature. While the council claims it has always been clear the community garden would be a temporary feature, advertising hoardings adjacent to the Meridian One sales office have been promoting the community garden without mentioning it is temporary. Better Homes Enfield says it has also asked for a promotional video and outline map of the development to be amended to address its concerns over the garden. The housing campaign group has repeatedly raised concerns over the amount of green space being provided on the Meridian Water Development. The Council's draft local plan, which underwent a round of public consultation in 2021, states that each phase of Meridian Water must meet a 30% open public space target as a minimum. But during a planning committee in September, Matt Byrne from Better Homes Enfield claimed only around 11 to 16% of Meridian 1 would now be permanent open public space. The campaign group has called on the council to make the temporary garden a permanent feature. It points out that Upper Edmonton Ward already has a deficiency of open public green space and that retaining the garden would help to compensate for the loss of Ladysmith Road open space, part of which was developed to provide a new primary school several years ago. A council spokesman said, Enfield Council has always been clear on the Meridian Water Community Garden being a temporary feature. As the community garden isn't a permanent feature, the proposals for green spaces at Meridian Water haven't included the community garden. There are no plans on making the community garden a permanent feature in the future. However, the council's current plans do intend to have the community garden in place until at least 2026. Vistry Homes and the ASA were approached for comment. And finally, a few figures on the census which took place in 2021 compared with the one ten years before in 2011. <coughs> the population of Enfield has increased by 5.6% 
from 312,500 to 330,000. But that growth was lower in Enfield than across London. And the average age of residents in Enfield in 2021 is 37, compared with 34 10 years before. But um, Enfield's population is younger than the national average. Well, we have reached the end of our programme for this week. Thank you for listening. So from the team of Group D and the Inn on the Controls, it's goodbye for now. Goodbye for now. Bye. Please remember to turn over the address label in your postal packet, put the memory stick into the packet in a closed position and return it to us as soon as possible in readiness for the next edition. Don't forget, you can call Diane to Jersey regarding any help you may require in connection with Enfield Talking Newspaper on 020-8805-6578. The Enfield Talking Newspaper will be with you again in one week's time.